0: Hey, man, how we doing? Hey, welcome to you, uh, whatever campus you're participating at, watching online. Welcome, welcome. It's good to be together. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And over the last uh, several weeks, we've been going through a series entitled Making Life Work. Okay, and the whole point of the series, uh, we're walking through the book of Proverbs. And we're looking at the book of Proverbs, which is written from the perspective of like an older, wiser, more experienced father uh, giving words of wisdom to his son. Uh, and maybe we've all been in a situation like that before where somebody has, has kind of already gone down the path that you're going and they're saying, hey, let me give you, let me give you some wisdom. Let me give you some advice. Uh, my parents were just here. Last week, and they were here with us uh, for the week, and we sat around the dining room table at night, and we'd talk about life. We'd talk about our kids, leaky pipes, whatever it might be, and my parents would say, hey, let me offer you some advice on that, right? And because uh, i just like to push back a little bit, I'd respond to them, you know, like, my house, my rules, mom, dad, back off. Uh, And they never liked that, but it turns out I actually really appreciate their advice, all right? And so we had had a lot of fun together, and they offered words of wisdom to us. And the, the book of Proverbs is essentially that. It's for gaining wisdom. And like Luke told us a few weeks ago, we have a choice. We can listen to wisdom or we can listen to folly. We can listen to the right way to go or we can live in the wrong way. And if, if you're walking with God, you understand that walking with God means that he has desires for the way that you would live. As you start to live in sync with him, in Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, the father's wisdom to the son is meant to say like, if you want to live a life that will work the best possible way, then listen up. Listen to what I have to say. I've got some advice for you that you're not going to want to miss. In the last two weeks, we've looked deeply at relationships. And today, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 5. And if you have been following along with us in the book of Proverbs this month, you already know where we're going today. All right, And it's going to be an important journey for us. The book of uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1, it starts like this. Okay, we see it once again. Be, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that may you keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. So we see, once again, the father speaking to the son, saying, hey, be attentive. Listen up. What I have to say is important. And don't, don't get lost in the fact that it's a father talking to the son. That's just the characters being represented here. But the reality is, it could be a mother talking to a daughter this is not just wisdom for a father and a son. This is wisdom for all of us. And it starts out with this pretty intense moment of like, son, be attentive. Listen up. I've got something important to say. It's like when I'm talking to my kids about something I want them to hear, I get down in their face and I do the hey, look me, look me in the eyes. All right, look right here. Everyone looking? Okay, now I'm going to tell This is a look-me-in-the-eyes kind of moment for the father. He's talking to the son. He's saying, hey, I'm about to tell you something really important so that you can plan your life accordingly. Know this on your lips when you speak so that you will know the wise direction to go. May your lips guard knowledge. And then very quickly in verse 3, he reveals to the son the topic of conversation. What he needs to offer him wisdom on and he says this for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil can can you see where we're going today you get a glimpse of it and here's the reality a lot of us we, we don't want to talk about these kinds of things But they're important, and it's important that we remember that the Bible is never ignorant or silent on real subjects that impact us. It's honest, it's real, it's transparent, and it teaches us how we should live and what we should give ourselves to in order to lead the the life that best honors the Lord. And the father is offering some advice to his son that he wants him to hear. Have discretion and ability to plan your life accordingly when folly comes. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. What the father is saying to the son is is beware. Temptation and desire and lust are out there. Be on the lookout. Be ready. Make sure you have truth on your lips. Because when temptation comes and when foolishness presents itself, it will not often present itself to reveal the harm that's to follow. Rather, it shows itself as sweet and good and satisfying like a drop of honey. And I think it's important just to offer a little bit of context here, okay? And while the father presents the dilemma as a forbidden and adulterous woman, surely that's not the end of the implications here in practicality. No, no, no. Instead, the father is saying, hey, there's this much wider issue than just the adulterous woman. The adulterous woman may be a powerful illustration for the son, but don't fool yourself. The father is trying to get across a critical life lesson. The woman is an example of a wider reaching problem of lust and temptation and our deep desire to allow it into our lives. And so the father is pleading with the son. Like, look at my eyes. Focus. What I have to tell you is important. And I need to tell you something critical about sexual temptation and desire and lustful ways. And this has clear and practical implications for every single one of us. This isn't just a a male or female thing. It's not just a married or not married thing. No, this message applies to every single one of us. Notice your desires and keep them in check. Lust is a powerful agent of folly that wants to work to bring you down, but it's also sneaky and convincing, and it can draw you in quicker than you can imagine, because at first, the temptation and the desire, they look good, like fresh honey. And so let's, let's maybe try to flesh this out just a little bit. What do we mean when we say lust and temptation and desire? Because uh, I think for some of us, we, we like to, to kind of make it something more significant in nature. Like uh, the father's portrayal that, yeah, adultery is a bad thing. But the reality is that the implications and application is much, much wider than that. Later on in Proverbs says, don't desire her beauty in your heart. Don't let her fluttering eyelashes draw you in. So what Counts is so often what we want to ask when we talk about lust and desire and temptation. Well, you know, we want to know what Jesus says? This is going to knock your socks off. You ready for this? this is what Jesus says about lust. You've heard what it was said. You should not commit adultery. Like, okay, that's a big one. Yeah, don't commit adultery. That's out of and some of us we felt the pain of that in our own lives. Don't do that. But Jesus takes it a step forward. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, so what counts? I'm I'm guessing you already know. Pay attention to what's happening in in your mind. Like really, open your mind to the way that you are thinking when you act with certain things. Or the way that your body is responding. When you walk down the aisle in Wegmans and there's the magazine rack. And on one side is the shirtless dude who's buff and glistening. My wife often says that dude looks like me. I'm just saying. And on the other side, you've got the woman in a bikini. And they are photoshopped to perfection. What's happening in your mind when you see that? What's what's happening uh, when that email comes through and it's got... Uh, The link that you can click or the photo that's attached. You don't know how they got your email address, but there it is. Like, what do you want to do with that? What are you drawn towards? And what do you do? What's happening in here and in here? What's happening when you're watching that movie and there's the scene at the bar where the guy and girl lock eyes and they scoot closer together and the wine starts flowing and you know what's coming next is that pretty intense sex scene. Do You continue to watch and pretend like it's just no big deal. What's happening in your mind, in your heart, in your body? A little bit of flirting between you and someone who's not your spouse. Well, it seems harmless enough. It's just a little bit. It's just playful. It's just fun. What's, What's really happening in here? When you're scrolling the internet, where does it take you? When you're alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend, what do you allow to happen? It might not seem like that big of a deal, it's just a little bit. When you're listening to music or, or reading that novel and the description is so vivid, what's happening in your mind as you hear it, as you see it, as you experience it? When you're scrolling Instagram or TikTok or whatever it might be for you, What is happening in your mind? What counts is so often what we want to ask, but it seems pretty clear to me. Jesus says anything that makes you lust, that changes the way you think, that that puts your body into action in some way, it changes the way you behave. The dopamine starts flowing, and your sex drive kicks in, and your brain starts being drawn in, and you know what that is, and it is not honoring to God. So what counts? Well, If it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and walks like a duck, guess what? It's a duck. We already know what counts. We feel it inside of us. If we just pay attention to it, we'll know what our temptation and our desire and lust is and what it's doing to us. Sexual sin is attractive, pun intended. It's charming. It lures you in. And once you give it a little bit, it wants more. It's like an appetite. The more you give it, the more hungry you become. The more it grows. The more we give in, the easier it is to do, the more easily we justify it, the harder it is to stop. Because our brains, they are hardwired toward this addictive behavior, toward sexual impulses, into whoever we give ourselves to in whatever level, whether it's thinking or looking or touching or first base, second base, third base, or home. When we give ourselves to that, we're drawn into it causes you to lust, it's out of bounds. Give in to our temptation and desire, it starts to take over. And the father, he he knows this. And if you're talking about Solomon, Solomon watched his, his own father spiral out of control with lust. It started with a little bit of looking, led to adultery, and then ultimately murder. This is a big deal to the father. And so the father says to the son, like, hey, you want to know where this takes you? You want to know the path that it will lead you down? For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But her feet go down to death, and her steps follow the path to destruction. The punchline being that we give into our desires, especially around sexuality. It leads to shame. It leads to wounds. It leads to hurt. It can lead to a ruined life. Our steps lead to death. Destroys and distorts our mind. It has an impact on our bodies. And we realize, and we know this, once we stop justifying and we're willing to admit it, that sexual sin carries with it significant shame unlike anything else. We look at Proverbs, we look at Scripture, we realize that sexual sin, it's it's just different. The Bible paints this very stark picture of the toll that our sexual temptation and desire can take on our body and our spirit. And some of us are here today and we feel that. We've experienced and we're wrestling with it. We feel the shame. But I think it's so important that we pause for a second. And we bring to light something else. And that's that in our sexuality, there is not just shame, there can also be great beauty. Sexuality can be a beautiful and good thing when used in the right context. The way God designed it, sex is good. Am I right? I expected like some amen or something there. Like, yeah, it is. Come on, don't be ashamed of it. It can be a good thing in bounds. But truth be told, in recent history of the church and purity culture, maybe a message has been sent more often than not around the dangers of lust and desire and temptation without enough emphasis on the beauty of sexual intimacy when lived out the way God intended it to be. And in that process, some were victimized and some were made to be the problem. And the reality is that this is a human problem, both male and female. God created sex. It's a good thing, a beautiful thing. It's something we should enjoy within the marriage walls the way God intended it to be. Sex, it's a big deal to God. Why? Because, Because there's something so profound about it as great unifying power. Sex and sexual desires are designed in such a way that creates this bond, this addiction of sorts between two people and signifies lifelong union between a man and a woman. And when you give yourself to someone or something, whether it's a thought or a look or a touch or bases one through home, when you give yourself to that, you start to create these neurological bonds that draw you back to that thing once again. That's why Jesus said what God has joined together, man cannot separate, because in the union of marriage and sexual intimacy, we are bound to one another. We become addicted to each other, and he created us with that end in mind. In Genesis and the Bible, they, they... They paint this picture of sex and and the bond of intimacy and oneness between a husband and wife that reflects the very love and intimacy that Jesus has with us, his church. God says that sexual union, it's not just for your enjoyment between husband and wife, but also to more closely draw you to each other and to fulfill some beautiful purposes of God, to go and create, be fruitful and multiply, make something beautiful in this world. There's so much good about our sexual desire, and God does not want to rob us of sexual pleasure. He's not trying to be some kind of killjoy, but instead, as the Father says to the Son, look right here in my eyes. You've got to listen to this. It's super important. I'm not trying to ruin your fun, but instead, I am trying to protect you so that I can lead you to something that can bring joy. Because the reality is that sex and bounds and our desires lived out and bounds, it can bring joy, and it can bring fulfillments, And can lead us to the place to best honor God, a setting in which we can best serve ourselves and serve others. Sex and our desires truly remarkable when used in the right context. But outside of those bounds, what leads to destruction starts to spiral out of control. In almost every book in the Bible, it renounces sexual immorality. That when we give our sexual desires and lust and temptation a leash and it starts to roam, well, what does it do? It starts to form this wall between God and us and the sanctifying work that he wants to do within each of us. It's a stiff arming God. But we stop trying to justify our sin and our lust and our temptation. Instead, we start to realize that it is a thing and we, we open our minds and our hearts and, and, and our bodies. So we start to realize the destructive behavior and what it can actually do to us. I mean, I, I have a vivid memory of the very first time that I, I saw pornography. I was at my friend's house, and uh, his neighbor came over. It was late at night. The parents were in bed, and he brought a video with him. Now, for my young people in the room, this wasn't a video on a phone, okay? It wasn't a video on a laptop. It was this big brick called a VHS tape. And he slid that VHS tape into the player, and what played next was something that he recorded the night before on what we now refer to as Skinamax, Okay. And what played over the next 20 to 30 minutes was a very vivid, very intense sexual fantasy. I still remember that moment. Many of us, we can remember the first time we were exposed to pornography. Because our sexual desires and that intimacy, it does something to us. We feel it deep within us. And the reality is that sexual desire and temptation... Is a very sneaky agent of folly it makes you think it's not that big of a deal but then it starts to take its toll on you and pulls us further and further away from God's plan, away from God's design, away from the best way to make life work. And instead, what it leaves behind it in its wake is sexual confusion, a worn out and overused sexuality that leads to lack of true intimacy. It leads to divorce rates rising. It leads to a rise in sexual abuse. It leads to us undermining the beauty of life. And abortion becomes how we deal with our lack of sexual discipline. Adultery is all around us. And so often adultery starts just with a little bit of flirting, a drop of honey after a drop of honey after a drop of honey until it spirals out of control. It leads to a booming porn industry and an ever-increasing sex trafficking issue. The power of temptation. It presents itself as small and harmless. It's just a thought. I'm only looking... We didn't round first base, we just got there. It starts as small, like it's no big deal. But don't forget where her feet lead. Her feet go down to death. It's a drop of honey, but it leads to pain. And the father goes on to tell the son, like, let me give you some advice. I I know it may be tempting, and I know you might want to justify it. It might not seem like that big of a deal. but, But let me give you some advice because let me tell you, son, there is too, 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 too much at stake here. Do not mess with this. It is not worth going down that path. Stay far from her door. Here's what the father says to the son. Let me give you some advice on how to deal with your desire, your temptation, your lust. And he says, now, oh, sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Listen up. This is important. Eyes right here. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. What's the best way for us to deal with our temptation and our desire and our lust? Just stay the heck away from it. It is too sneaky and it will pull you in. And if you fast forward seven, eight hundred years to the Apostle Paul... He's looking back at the words of Proverbs and thinking, those are pretty wise. We often look at grandma and grandpa and the way we lived, and we think, well, that's old-fashioned. Instead, Paul says, there is wisdom in it, so listen up. And what does Paul tell us to do with our sexual immorality, with our desire, with our lust, with our temptation? Flee from it. Get the heck out of there. Don't let it mess with you. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Why? Why? Go to that next slide. Because you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The temple of God, the Holy Spirit, is within you. And Paul's usually the one who's like, hey, fight the good fight. Stand up against sin. You can do it. Way to go. But when it comes to sexual immorality, he says, just get the heck out of there. It's not worth taking the chance because there is something so profound about the connection between sexuality and spirituality. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Holy Spirit dwells within each person who has accepted Christ and committed to him as Lord and Savior. And when we allow sexual desire and temptation into the body, into the mind, we feel the significance of it because it goes against the very plan for God and the work that he is trying to do within us. Paul isn't messing around. He's saying this is too important. The stakes are too high. Just stay away. You know what Jesus says about it? Remember that verse where he says, if you even lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. Well, look what he says next in the verses that follow. Okay, He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, what should you do? Just gouge that sucker out. All right, get it out of the way. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if that's not enough, he goes on. And if your right hand calls you to stumble, what do you do? Chop that sucker off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body being thrown into hell. What Jesus is saying is like, hey, listen up, church. The stakes are too high. This is important. You need to listen. And obviously he's speaking in hyperbole because if he wasn't, I guarantee you, this entire room would be eyeless and handless. We all struggle here. No one is exempt. When you really examine the hearts, pay attention to what your mind's doing. We all struggle with this temptation and desire and lust. Don't miss the severity of the situation. We allow desire and lust to take over. We sin in such a way that it starts to distort and hinder who God is calling us to be. And not only does it destroy the work of God in us, but it also leads to a place of us diminishing the beauty of God's creation. No longer seeing those we're lusting after as chosen and precious and priceless children of God, our brothers and sisters, but instead we start to see them as objects or tools to be used for our own satisfaction. To allow temptation and desire and lust to run rampant in our life. That is not to show love, it's to show selfishness. It's not to show respect for God and what he's made, but instead to show a lack of respect. Don't let even an ounce of it into your life because it will start to mess with your soul and your mind unlike so many other sins. And it leads you quickly down a path away from God. Some of us, we've experienced that. We're on a trajectory towards Jesus and then we allow sexual sin in and all of a sudden it feels like the trajectory we're on has changed. And the father uh, gives warning to the son. What are the consequences of just going to the woman's house, allowing this to free flow in our lives? So he says this, at the end of your life, you'll groan, and your flesh and body are consumed. Or a little bit later in Proverbs 5, he says, he dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Or if you go forward two chapters to Proverbs chapter 7, we're seeing the same theme repeat. The father's saying it once again. Soon, she has him eating out of her hand, bewitched by her honeyed speech. But before you know it, he's trotting behind her, like a calf led to the butcher shop. The danger that the father is trying to portray to the son it's that sexual temptation and desire and lust are sneaky. And it's working to bring you down. And if it wins a little, it's going to win a lot. And it's going to lead you away from God, and it's going to leave you unsatisfied and ultimately injured in searching for something more. We feel the pain, yet sometimes we want more of it. We feel the shackles pulling, and for some reason we willingly go with it. And that's why temptation can be so sneaky, is because so much of it lives right here, or right here. What happens in the private places of my soul, you cannot see. It's easy to hide. It's easy to keep in secret. And until you're willing to be vulnerable and honest... And expose what's happening behind the curtain. It's got a hook in your mouth and it pulls you further and further into harm's way. And that's why the man in Proverbs 5 reminds the son if you won't listen to me, then just remember a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of his paths. See, God has eyes to see what others can't, even the private places of our lives. God is there, and he calls us to honor him, to be sanctified in every single aspect of our life. And scripture continues to warn us to give in to the way of folly, is to think what happens in private has no effect on anyone else, so what's the big deal? Yet all the while, it's destroying the temple of God. destroys us and our potential to be great agents of wisdom in this world. So the book of Proverbs, uh, you don't have to read very far before you see some, some pretty stark and important comments about avoiding temptation and desire and lust. But at the same time, the book does a really good job of offering wisdom in the wake of it. And we see that and we read. So what does, the father, what does the father say to the son when it comes to temptation and desire and lust? Let's offer you some words of wisdom. The first thing he says, we just talked about it, flee from temptation and desire. Like flee from it. And we, we just talked about it. The Bible talks all about it. You don't have to read very far before you see it saying, like get away from sexual temptation and desire. But a point I want to make is that I think we need to do this work together because it's so difficult to do alone. But all the while, sexual sin... Given in to our temptation and desire and lust, doesn't it carry with it some shame that we don't want anybody else to know what's going on in here? And so we push it down and we put it into hiding. We don't want to expose it because that makes us feel dirty and icky. And what if somebody sees? Well, the beauty of God's church is we realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so this isn't a place of judgment. It's a place of healing and of grace and of opportunity. So we got to flee sexual immorality, but I believe that that is best done together. Invite some people in, people who have access to your phone and know your password. <sighs> They've got the app that monitors what you do on your computer or on your phone. Have you ever seen one of those apps before? One of my buddies had that app, and it was like an, unlike any app I'd ever seen before. If anything on his phone happens that remotely triggers like that he's lusting or desire or whatever, it immediately sends a message to his accountability partner. And so I tried it out. Okay, I, I, Bear with me here. I just texted myself the word sex. And sure enough, just like that, his accountability partner texted him, Hey, what's up? What are you doing? What's going on? This thing is best done together. And God gave us this church for a reason. That's to carry each other's burdens, to help each other along the path, to push each other to Christ-likeness, to help each other avoid the wrong things. And I think it's worth pausing for a moment here to say a word to those uh, who are single, whether by choice or not, because I believe that there's blessing in that. And the Bible says as much. You look at the Apostle Paul, he, he remained single. Jesus remained single, and they both experienced great bre- blessing and fruit in their life. But I think it would be foolish for us not to admit that we know that those who choose singleness, while there's blessing in that, there's also difficulty that comes with desire and temptation and lust. And what you need to know is that this is a church that wants to be on that journey with you. And I believe in the power of God's community, people who are linking arms, pursuing Christ together, and the power that can be found in it, that we can partner together on that path with extreme vulnerability and transparency, getting real with others. We need not hide our temptation and desire, but rather bring it to light so that our community can help us in avoiding the way of folly. We don't just need to flee, we need to flee together. But in fleeing, I believe we also should be pursuing something. And the Father talks about this with the Son. We should pursue God. Right? The more you pursue God, the more you surround yourself with people and reading and encouragement that push you to become who Jesus is calling you to be, the easier it is to overcome the temptation. And the Father says that the one who gives in to the temptation, when he looks back on his life and his pain, he will say, how I hated Discipline. My heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to their instructions. And where am I now? I am on the brink of utter ruin. Translation, I should have listened up. I should have paid attention. Fill your minds with the ways of God. Listen to the voice of God through the Bible and his community, his church. Fill your minds with good stuff and allow it to strengthen your muscle of, of discipline in your life. Be surrounded by good teachers. Let others in scripture speak into your life. Let them have your keys. Let them have your password. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. In order to do that, we've got to put to death sexual immorality. We give our minds to God. His spirit increases. And the desire and the temptation start to decrease and get squeezed out. So wisdom would say Flee. Uh, Wisdom would say pursue, but I think this next thing is is really important. Once again, we're going to come back here again, because I, I think it's so important that we listen to wisdom, we listen to the Father when he says, also enjoy. Like, enjoy sex and bounce. And this isn't a sermon meant to create shame. It's meant to give us a glimpse into the beauty of God's design. By resisting lust, we lead to God's goodness. Wisdom would want us to remember the beauty of sex the way God intended it to be. Realizing that within the boundaries by which God created sex, and that includes all of it, the thinking, the looking, the touching, the basis. When we realize that within those bounds is why God created sex, then in there we find true beauty. And when we honor those bounds, those sexual desires, they move from temptation and lust and desire to something beautiful. They become an act of worship. We enjoy sexual intimacy the way God created it. It brings with it great joy and pleasure and strengthening of relational bonds. It showcases the beautiful union between God and his people. And the father wants the son to know it. He's saying, like, beware, stay away, because there's something really good in store for you if you do. And I want to tell you about it. And this is where we get PG-13, y'all. Because look at what the Father says to the Son. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her life. Are you allowed to say that in church? That's not a romance novel, y'all. That is the Bible. It's legit. And this is tame compared to some of the wonderful ways that the Bible describes sex the way God intended it to be. It can be a beautiful thing. And what we quickly realize is that the Bible is not embarrassed about the enjoyment of sex and marriage, but rather it celebrates it. And when the honor, when we honor God with the gift that he's given us in the right context... It leads to something beautiful and lasting. See the difference between sensual love and marriage and sexual lust? It's striking. It's profound. It's stark. The former is lifelong. The latter, well, it's temporary and it's fleeting. The former is satisfying and the, the latter, it is destructive. The former brings with it the spiritual tangling of hearts and souls and minds and lifelong union while the other has a momentary connection that when it's pulled apart leaves destruction behind god instituted marriage as a lifelong loving partnership and in bounds it is beautiful go and enjoy wisdom would say flee sexual immorality men and women it's a human issue it would say pursue christ likeness and as you do if you choose to be married enjoy sex and bounds and enjoy it without shame. And I think that leads us to the fourth thing that wisdom would say to us today because the reality is a lot of us, uh, we live with a lot of shame Like once we're willing to admit it, we stop justifying it, we pay attention to it, we see what's happening in our minds and our bodies. We realize that sexual sin does carry with it some kind of toll that it takes on our body, mind, and spirit that is unlike anything else. And we walk around with a ton of shame and heartache and pain, and maybe we're burying it deep down within there, but it is there. And we sense it, and we feel it, and we hear a message like this, and all of a sudden we think, oh great, I'm being told I'm a sinner again. And that's why you can't miss point number four, and that is that wisdom says that we need to embrace God's grace. God's grace is available to you. God's love is there for the taking. If you walk with Jesus, if you step out of the dark places of your soul, and you step into the light of Christ, he has the power to make you new. First John says it this way. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. He's brought us into this family, this beautiful community of people who just want us to look more like Jesus. Not a community of judgment, not a community of hatred, not a community of telling us everything that we've done wrong, but instead a community that walks with us on the path. When we reorient, repent, and turn towards Jesus, we know it's a lifelong journey. And we walk it together. Fellowship with one another, and through that, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And it continues, and the scriptures tell us that if we say we have no sin, well, we deceive ourselves, right? It's easy to say, "Ah, it's not that big of a deal, just thinking, just looking. Don't deceive yourself, but instead, find the truth, and if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify. From all unrighteousness. I can't quite explain how it works. But when we turn to Jesus, whatever baggage it is we're carrying, his love is enough. It's enough to give us peace, to take the burden, to remove the weight from our shoulders. He gives us hope and a future. He has the power to restore us, to to make us pure, to give us a fresh start. You are not too far gone. You have not sinned too much. Jesus wants to give you a new life, a new start, to free you from pain, to break the shackles, to help you overcome whatever kind of grief and shame it is you feel. God is enough. He can and he wants to. You do not have to live in hiding. So often we talk about sexual sin, it carries with it so much shame that a message like this makes us go further into hiding. But what i invite you into today is not to go into hiding, but instead to step into the light and allow God to speak to you and receive his kindness and his generosity and his goodness and his ability to make all things new. 2 Corinthians tells us that if you are in Christ, you are what? You are a new creation. And that doesn't mean that the pain from the past will immediately disappear from our memory. Like I, I remember that first time I was exposed to pornography. And I can remember many of the times that I overstepped and sinned sexually. And I carry that memory with me. But you know what I don't carry? I don't carry shame. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I am redeemed and I am made new. And that is true for every single one of us if we're willing to step into the light. Embrace God's grace. Pursue wisdom. Avoid folly. Do it together. And know that there's a God who loves you. And when, not if. When the struggle comes. And when the thought enters or when temptation catches your gaze or when you go too far, you are reminded once again of the goodness and the generosity and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who rescues us and makes us new and pushes out shame and does not bring judgment, but instead brings joy and peace when nothing else makes sense. Step into the love of Jesus. Embrace God's grace and know that whatever baggage it is that you bring, I don't care how big it is. I don't care how heavy it is. God's grace is sufficient and it's enough and it's not too late to get on the path of wisdom because the path of folly leads us nowhere. You have a choice. Do you choose folly or do you choose wisdom? It's not too late. You can make that choice today. Let's pray. Hmm. Jesus, we come before you. And God, we know that this is one of those subjects that so often we like to just kind of keep deep down within us. We don't like to bring it to the surface. We don't like to talk about it. What happens in hiding when no one else can see? Well, what's the big deal? We realize today, God, that you say it is a big deal. The path of wisdom would lead us to love and experience this life the best way possible while the path of folly and giving in to our temptation and lust and desire. God, her path leads to death. And so, God, my prayer for us today is that we would each, every single one of us, posture ourselves in a way that says, God, I'm no longer going to keep this in hiding. No matter how big or how small the baggage may be, no matter how heavy or light it may be, I'm going to expose it. I'm going to allow somebody else in. And God, I'm going to turn to you and trust that your grace is enough. And God, for some of us today, we come in here with so much ache and shame and hurt. Lord, may your peace and your grace and your love take it away. God, help them to start new. That in Christ, we realize we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here and your love is enough and it is sufficient. Jesus, it's good to rest in your arms. It's good to rest in your embrace. And it's good to know that we have a path towards hope. We are not too far gone. So Lord, today help us to step into wisdom and to follow you. Jesus, we love you. Amen.